Well, we're continuing in our series, and it is called uh, Keys to Becoming Fully Human and Fully Alive. And I'm supposed to, I wore a t-shirt like three weeks in a row. I was tired of wearing a t-shirt, but here it is. Uh, Church of Four. How many, you're actually going to experiment some and check out Church of Four? Can I see your hands? And if you have any friends, and they're party people, and you know they want to stay out late Saturday night, please tell them there's this weird church that's now offering a service at 4 o'clock. We're really hoping that will meet a niche. And if you need to record your games, guys, um, talk to someone other than me. Although I do uh, record my games, but it's a real easy thing to do. I wish I would have went to 4.30, though, instead of 4, right? Because the games are over at 4. But anyway, we can't have everything. (laughs) So this is the fifth week in this series called Keys to Becoming Fully Human and Fully Alive. And I've said something each week that I want to repeat. Unfortunately, places like this, meaning churches, have somehow given people the notion that that the creator, the most beautiful, intelligent, relational being in the universe, that all he's really concerned about is that people like us learn some religious activity or maybe some religious phraseology or religious beliefs and that we show our respect to him occasionally and then we can just kind of go and live our life any way we choose, that he doesn't really have an eternal plan and purpose, that there's no plan and purpose for our individual lives and And that's just kind of it. Get a little religion, appease the creator, get him off your back, on your side. You know, that's pretty much it. And this is tragic because it makes the creator look like this powerful buffoon who has nothing more planned than just what I said. Now, the truth is the creator has this incredibly wonderful plan. It's been thought out from all eternity. And when it comes to us as humans, it's a, it's a plan of reconciliation and restoration. He first of all seeks to bring us to a place of restored trust with himself without which we can never be fully human and fully alive. Scripture says in the New Testament book of Colossians 1.16, we were made by Christ and for Christ and apart from him, life never coheres. So until we are reconciled to our creator Christ in trust, we can't even start to be fully human and fully alive. Now the phrase, fully human and fully alive. Inevitably, somebody's thinking, well, I think I'm alive, Randy, or I wouldn't be hearing your voice, and I think I'm human. But when you look at what Scripture says, it says that we are not the beings that God originally created us to be. That that something has happened. There's been a disruption in our union with our creator. We're not following his plan for design. We're not developing uh, as a result of trusting him and learning from him and acquiring his ways that something has gone wrong. And the evidence that something has gone wrong, it's everywhere. Most of your life, most of my life, most of the the lives of everybody that's ever lived and breathed on this planet is, is literally, literally consumed with trying to resolve problems, uh, trying to deal with trouble, we can call them trials. You cannot escape these things, these party crashers in life. Everything is going along well, and then all of a sudden, some kind of a trouble, some kind of a trial. They are inescapable realities, but the reason, the reason that we are so immersed in this kind of a life is that We are not fully human and fully alive. The world is full of 7 billion people who are not fully human and fully alive. Yes, some have been reconciled to their creator, and they're in process of becoming fully human and fully alive, but we're not there 
Yet, hence the world is a troubled place. And we have troubles of all kinds. We have mental troubles and emotional troubles, physical troubles, financial troubles, relational troubles. We have global troubles, governmental troubles. I mean, just anywhere you want to look, we have these troubles and trials. And so, it becomes paramount for us to face this reality and our creator speaks to us quite clearly about the nature of these trials these troubles and how we can handle them and hence we come to this this key today the key of trial so here's where I want to add one thing that's a little bit different about this particular message we, we've had five, four messages prior to this they're not necessarily linked together albeit if you can kind of watch them together in series. It's a little bit more effective. But this particular message, trust me on this one, if you didn't get message one, which is the message about vision, God's vision for your life, God's vision for every human being's life, if you and I have not fully embraced and internalized with conviction, this is who I am created to be and this is what I am created to do until we have embraced God's vision for our life. Everything that I'm going to share with you about the key of trial will not benefit you at all because they are, they are connected, vitally connected together. All right, so with that in mind, let me share with you that vision statement that we had. A vision... It's a deeply held conviction of an attainable reality based on God's revelation. We have that in his word that arouses passion and focus. Now, we shared in that first message the business community has a slightly different version of that. But for those that care about God, it's a deeply held conviction. This thing is in me. I've internalized it. And it's an attainable reality, this vision. And it's based, I get this vision from God. It's based on a revelation in his word. And it arouses passion and focus that led to the second message in the series about intensity. But for today, we just want to refocus you on vision. Because apart from embracing God's vision for our life, the key of trials will never work for any of us. So let, let's review. What was that vision? From the book of Ephesians, we looked at it. Chapter 4, verse 13, New Testament book of Ephesians. It says, this will continue. If where you read the verses, go before it. You have a leadership team whose process is to develop God's people. This will continue until we are united by our faith or our trust and by our understanding of the Son of God. That's Jesus. Then we will be, what is the word? Mature, fully human, fully alive. To be mature as God designed us is to be fully human, fully alive. Then we will be mature. But what does mature mean? How do we know what a mature person looks like? Just as, what does it say? Mature. When you and I are fully human and fully alive, we're going to look just like Christ. Your distinctive personality, but it's a fully Christ-like version of you and I. We'll be, we'll be mature just as Christ is, and we will be, what does it say? What? completely like him. Unless you have, unless you actually have, I don't, I don't mean it's just kind of in your mind somewhere. Unless you actually have that as the vision for your life. That's God's vision for your life, for every human life. Until you and I fully embrace that, internalize that to the point that it's passionate pursuit. It's a passionate focus. Everything that I'm about to share with you today will not make any sense. It will do you no good. It will only confuse you further and frustrate you more. And we know that trials and troubles have that potential to confuse us, 
to frustrate us, to break our hearts, to break our will, uh, to, to get us where we're not sure we even want to go on. All right, real quick, three things about trials. Trials are inescapable. I hope you know that by now. No sense trying. We all want to, but we cannot. They are inescapable, and they should awaken us that something is terribly wrong. You and I want a perfect world, a perfect uh, set of relationships, perfect conditions. We don't ever want anything to go wrong for ourselves or anybody else. But we live in a world where that is simply not true, not true for anyone. Trials are the reality because something is terribly wrong. We live in a world of people not fully human and fully alive. Second thing about trials. Trials reveal that we, they, they, excuse me, they reveal what, we'll get to this a little later, what we really believe and what really matters to us. It's one thing for me to say what I believe, but it just takes the right set of circumstances and it shows what I really believe. It's one thing for me to say what really matters to me, but you put me in the right set of circumstances, the right kind of trial, and it will become very clear what really matters to me. So trials do this. Third thing trials do. Trials provide a uniquely powerful kind of, what is the word? I could have put the word stress in there. Because it would be true, trials provide a unique, a unique kind of pressure or stress that can greatly do what? Pause. How many have ever gone through a trial, a trouble in your life, and you came out of that thing pretty darn banged up and hurt? Can I just see your hands? Yeah, I have too. But there's a second part to this that can greatly injure us or... Or surprisingly do what? Now, I won't ask you to raise hands on that, but I'll raise mine. I have experienced that. I've had both the shattering experience, the complete heartbreak, and then I've seen the improvement that I would never have experienced or attained in any other way. All right. So this gets us started. So now let's get into some, some facts. Of this. We want to just start by recognizing that trials, they're, they're meant by God to bring a blessing. We want to recognize their God-intended blessing. Yes, I'm saying this in the same sentence. Trials, troubles are meant by God to be a blessing. Let's look at some scripture. Let's look at some scripture. <laughs> the book of James. By the way, James is Jesus' half-brother who did not follow Jesus when Jesus was alive on earth, but who became a follower of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. James could not deny who he was, and he became a leader in the church of Jerusalem, a powerful evidence that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. James writes this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? Trials, Trials of what? All different kinds. Mental, emotional, financial, relational, you know, uh, global political, all, all kinds. Trials of many kinds. Why? Why, James? You just sound crazy to say this. Why should I count it joy, unless I'm some kind of a masochist, why should I count it joy when I go through trials, troubles of many kinds? Because, because you know that the testing of your faith or trust produces what? Perseverance, that ability to stand fast, to, to do what is right regardless of what the circumstances, it goes on. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, there's that word again, what? 
mature. We read a minute ago, being mature is to be completely like Christ, fully human, fully alive. Jesus, the only model we've had is somebody fully human and fully alive. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James, he says when troubles, trials, things that I don't want, you don't want, life's party crashes, when they come, he says, we need to think of them differently. They don't mean that God has abandoned us, first of all, and that's where we go sometimes. They don't mean that God is angry at us. They, they don't mean that the universe is turned inside out and so that everything's right is wrong and wrong is right. They, they come to us, sure enough, they may be completely unjust and undeserved, but they come sifted through the hand of a loving God who says, if you will trust me, if you will stay faithful to me and my principles during this uncomfortable, undesirable set of circumstances, it will do something for you. It will do something in you that nothing else can do for you or in you. It will help you to grow up, to be mature, you see, part of being mature, part of being Christ-like is that I am going to do what is pleasing to God. I am going to do what is right in the sight of God, whether I get profit from it or pain. I become a person of principle. I become steadfast. I become pure in my motivations. And it shows that I really trust Christ. I trust him when life is good, and I trust him when life is not so good. Trusting Christ in every and any circumstance is what these produce for us. There's a guy named Kevin Lehman, and I bet you some of you have seen him on Oprah and different places. He's a Christian writer. He writes a lot about family. But I came across an interesting article of his, and he's talking about, this is a term I hadn't heard before, lawnmower parents. How many have ever heard that term before? Law, I'd heard of helicopter parents, but never heard of lawnmower parents. Now, in my day, in my, in my days, we had what we call ashtray parents. Uh, that's right, Ricky and Lucy smoked, so everybody smoked. I kid you not, when I went to the doctor as a little boy in the 50s, my doctor would be smoking. I'd get the smoky eye talking to my doctor. Be, so ashtray parents, the way they work was this. You better figure it out on your own or I'll take care of your butt. You know how you, you, take, a, you take a butt and you crush it out in the ashtray? That's how, that's how it was in the 50s. <laughs> but he talks about lawnmower parents. Let me read you what he says. Seriously. Do you do your son's homework for him? You make excuses for your daughter when she doesn't show up for school on time? Really? Are you going to follow them to college and their first job to make sure they're happy and comfortable every moment there too? If you think you're doing those things for your kid, listen carefully, take a good look in the mirror. You're selfish. All those things you're doing, well, you're not really doing them for your kid. You're doing them for you. Because the thought of your kid being unhappy, struggling, failing, and not being able to compete with their peers drives you crazy. But here's the irony. Doing anything for your kid that he could do for himself actually accomplishes the opposite of what you truly want. It ruins your child's chance for success in life because it weakens their resolve, kills their resilience, really important quality resilience, tears down their self-concept and diminishes their desire to do anything in life on their own. If that's what you're after, keep doing what you're doing. If not, consider this. Talk to any successful person and you'll find struggle and failure aplenty in their past. 
And then he closes out with this that I'll share on the screens. If you snowplow the roads of life for your kid, doing things he could and should do for himself, making all his decisions for him, you rob him of developing the psychological muscles. I like that. That he needs to not only contribute to society, but to be what? A decent human being. So, Here's someone saying that even when it comes to our parenting, the model of our Father in heaven, the Heavenly Father, by not at all alleviating all the uncomfortable circumstances and, and difficulties that life has, that He's doing it for something deeper for us, to strengthen us, to give us character, character that we know is meant to become ultimately like Christ. Listen to this one from Peter. Peter's another interesting guy. Peter, the night Jesus was arrested, denied Jesus three times. Denied that he knew him three times. But then after he saw Jesus alive from the grave, he was the most courageous leader of that time because he saw that Jesus actually rose. Listen to his words. He says, so be truly glad. Sounds a lot like James. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure what? Many trials, not one or two, many trials for a little while. He, mean, he means all of life for a little while. He goes on. These trials, forgive me too, I have a cold. My voice is going in and out a little bit, so bear with me. These trials will show that your faith is what? It's easy to say I'm a Christ follower until life sufficiently tests us to see if we'll stay true to him, true to his word, true to his principles. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more pressure, precious than mere gold. He goes on. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Listen to me. You and I will not be able to use the key that God wants to give us today to use, the key of trials, unless we actually believe Jesus rose from the grave. And because we believe he rose, we believe his promises that we will rise to, that evil has a short shelf life and that Jesus will come. His kingdom will come in its fullness. His will will be done on this very earth, just like it's already done in heaven. Unless we have as a core conviction, a core belief, a conviction about an eternal perspective on life, you and I will revert back to our default mechanism, which is a survival mechanism. We're going to pursue self-gratification uh, self and self-preservation. Whatever is going to help us escape from uncomfortable situations, we'll grasp onto it. We will hate trials. We will hate difficulties. They will break us. We will not be developed by them at all. Unless you have a firm grasp on who Christ is and what he promises and you believe it to your core, you won't be able to use this treasure of the key to trials very well. Back in 2007, something interesting happened down in Florida. They had a big drought. And uh, Lake Okeechobee, I guess you pronounce it, or Okeechobee, somebody can correct me after it. Um, it's the second biggest lake in the United States. This thing lost so much water that about a mile of the shoreline was shown. In fact, I think we have a picture uh, yeah, you can see the two comparisons. So about a mile of the shoreline was all of a sudden showing. And they found all these fascinating things. 
They, they found relics from Indian tribes 500 years old. You know, weaving tools and arrowheads and all kinds of interesting. They even found a boat from a trawler, a fishing trawler from 1904 that a 1928 hurricane had evidently tossed into the lake somehow and had been buried there all that time. What am I talking about Lake Okeechobee for in the drought? When we go through seasons in life that are droughts, they're dry, they're painful, they're uncomfortable, they're undesirable. They have a way of showing things that were always in us, but that we may not have known were there. How many of you can identify with that one? You went through a circumstance, you didn't like it, you didn't want it, it wasn't fair, but you learned some things about yourself that you would not have learned in any other way. How many can identify with that? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Don't always like what I found, but it was important to see that it was there because it can't be removed. It can't be dealt with unless I own it. And I can't mature. I can't develop unless I'm willing to put off, as we learned last week, my old self and put on my new self that is meant to be like Christ. And these trials have a way of revealing things. Remember what I said in the second statement? Trials reveal what we really believe. Do I really trust Christ? And what really matters to me? Does righteousness, does it really matter to me? Have I really been won over? Has the beauty of Jesus Christ, his beautiful righteousness and the vision of a world full of beings like him, has that so won my heart that I am going to embrace righteousness and be passionate for him and his kingdom regardless of what circumstance I'm in or what I lose or how unjustly were the causes that caused me to to lose it? So these difficult times have a way of showing us who we really are, and that's not a bad thing at all. So we've looked at how we can recognize these God-intended blessings. Now, now how, how do we get it in us? How can we receive these God-intended blessings? Let me go to a rather long portion of Scripture from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians. And it starts, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the, what is the word? trouble. Here's God's main man on earth, the Apostle Paul. The Spirit of God used him to write 13 books in the New Testament, and his life was riddled with trouble. His 32-year ministry was nothing but one trouble after another. He says, about the troubles we went through in the province of Asia, we were, what is the word? Crushed. We were crushed. And what is that? What else? overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. How many in here have ever felt you've gone through a trial and it broke you, man? It crushed you. You, you felt like I am beyond my ability to endure. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I don't know if it wouldn't be easier to die than to continue going through this. How many have ever experienced something like that? I, I for one, have. That's what Paul's talking about. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. He goes on. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, now this is, this is important, but as a result, we stopped relying on who? Ourselves. That, that's our nature. We, we're just, you know, we, we tend to kind of try to fight our way through to protect ourselves. And we learned, notice it's a process, it's not natural. We learned to rely only on who? Who? raises the dead. I talked earlier about a certain energy that is released, a certain stress, a certain pressure when we're in trials. 
and they will bring us often to the very end of ourselves. They will bring us to the place of brokenness. And it's meant to teach us how to hang on, to cry out, to grab on to God. Some of you know that experience. I know that experience. I know what it is to, to be face down on the floor, crying to the point that I thought my insides would come out, completely broken, thinking my life was completely shattered, undone for good, and having nothing, nothing to hold on to but God and His grace. And I looked at my life from that standpoint. This is it. It's over. But you still have Jesus. And he still loves you, though you don't deserve it a bit. And what I found is that when I had nothing else but Jesus, and only when I thought I had nothing else but Jesus, only then did I learn Jesus is enough. We use that in our songs. We use that as a cliche. It bothers me sometimes because until you get to the place, that place of brokenness, where you really don't see anything else but Jesus, I don't really believe you learn the lesson to rely on him entirely and discover a wonderful discovery. In fact, he is enough. He is enough. Paul goes on. He talks about some other things. He had a situation in his life. He said he asked God three times to remove a certain thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is, but it was something. It was a messenger from Satan tormenting him. We know that from Scripture. Each time the Lord says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm, you're going to have to endure this trial. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. I'm not going to remove the trial. I'm not going to remove the problem. I'm not going to remove the pain. Some of us need to hear that. My grace is all you need. My power works best in what? That's that place where, again, we're not able to rely on ourselves and our own resources anymore. We're out of bullets. We're out of ammunition. And we must learn to rely on God. Weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He goes on. So I'm not defeated by my weaknesses, but delighted when I feel when I feel my weaknesses we're, we're unable to endure we learn to rely on God when I'm when I feel my weaknesses and endure mistreatment he goes on when I'm surrounded with troubles where I'm just curious because we all go through these seasons is there anybody in here that you're in one of those seasons man and you feel like Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, you're being slammed by a new problem. You, you feel surrounded by troubles on every side. I'm just curious. Anybody going through one of those times? Amen. I see those double hands back there. That's not a victory sign. That's a sign of please pray for me, right? <laughs> he goes on. Surrounded by troubles on every side. And I face persecution because of my love for Christ. I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes, uh, I love this, becomes a portal 
to God's power. Until you and I get to the place where our trials, our troubles break us down sufficiently so that we don't have the resources and we must learn to rely on God, we don't discover the secret that then his power comes into us. It gives us that ability. Now, I don't want to over-dramatize this. It's not like you instantly feel wonderful. No, 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 not at all. What he gives you is this power, though, to get your perspective back and to take one more step and to just live another hour and then another day and then another week and then another month. And all of a sudden, though, you start to gain strength. And ironically, sometimes it becomes the biggest breakthrough in your maturity process, your character, your Christ-like character development process, because some things get trimmed away when we go through those experiences. So a guy named Kenneth Manns, and he talks about an experience he had with his wife. He was visiting her Aunt Gladys at her place, and she had an apple orchard. And he said he went there this one year, man, and he said the, the apple trees were so full of apples, they were, the limbs were just like hanging down to the ground with apples. And he asked Gladys, he said, you know, what, what happened? And she said, well, the truth of the matter is, last year we had a late spring frost. And all the apple trees developed all these little nodules, thousands and thousands of these little nodules called seons, like little knots. And what it is is, is all the energy that was built up in the trees, it's like stymied, it's, it's, it's halted. But the next year, it all comes bursting out. And Ken, uh, Ken, Kenneth Manns then goes on to say this. He says, Gladys' description made me think about our spiritual lives. Sometimes the harsh frosts of this life, cancer, divorce, bankruptcy, trauma, grief, depression, cause our hearts to freeze. But at the core of the Christian faith, God's power is pulsating under the gnarly bark of this world. Keith Maines is his name. So we need to keep that tucked away that there's, there's a potential for extraordinary growth breakthroughs when we endure these times that seem to freeze our heart and atrophy us inside and, and bring us to the place of complete brokenness. I'm just curious, how many of you would love to feel just like you feel after Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, yeah, you're, you, you know, you, you just finished Thanksgiving dinner and now you're going to kick back and watch a football game and you just feel so content, just completely, you kind of loosen your belt maybe and you just feel content. How many would like to know that you could go through every season in your life feeling that kind of contentment. How many, how many buy into that one? You, you get that ticket. Can I see your hands? Some of you don't want to. You want to feel dissatisfied. <laughs> You're like, man, I'm not raising my hand again. You had us do this all morning long. <laughs> well, check this out from the same Apostle Paul. By the way, he was writing this from a prison cell, and he didn't know if he was going to be executed or not. And he writes these words. He says... I'm not saying this because I lack anything. In fact, I've learned to be what? I've learned to be content in any circumstances in which I find myself. Well, how did you do that? How did you learn to be content in any, any circumstance you find yourself, Paul? I want to know how, how you do that. He goes on. I know what it is to live in humble circumstances, and I know what it is to have more than enough I have learned the secret. I've been initiated in. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation while being full or what is the word? While having plenty or having what? Not enough. He goes on. What's the secret, Paul? I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. How did he learn the secret? By going through the circumstances. He knew what it was to have not enough. He knew what it was to not have his needs met. He knew what it was to have plenty by going through each circumstance, but always clinging to Christ, always holding strongly to him, always living in an experientially conscious relationship with him in each season of life. (laughs) Not just a Sunday only thing, but an every day, every week thing. He learned he actually could be content in all circumstances. That's a wonderful blessing to have. That comes through being in the circumstance, though. Unless we go through the lean times and find God to be sufficient, we won't learn this secret of being content. You have to go through it. You have to experience it to know the truth of the secret. One more from 1 Peter chapter 5. It's it's a very wonderful promise. Peter says this. He says, then after your brief suffering, and he's talking about a lifetime. (laughs) After your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace, who has called you to share his eternal glory in Christ, it goes on, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you what? Stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. Peter's saying, yeah, you're going to go through some bumpy times. They're going to hurt. They're going to be difficult. But you stay faithful to God, and you're going to find he stays faithful to you, and he'll he'll bring you through, and you'll have resilience, and you'll have the same beauty of character that Christ had. Something wonderful will come out of this as long as we navigate it with the key of trial, which is to trust Christ to stay faithful to him and to draw strength from him in every season in our life. Let me close with a story about a guy named Jerry Sitzer, and I've actually shared it with you before, but you've probably forgotten it because I had. (laughs) Jerry Sitzer, back in 1991, experienced something that most of us won't ever experience. Uh, He is a professor at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. He received the news that His family had been in a car accident. His wife, his four children, and his mother had been hit head-on by a drunken driver. He was going 85 miles an hour, hit him head-on. His wife died, his mother died, and his youngest child died. And there he was instantly, a single parent, and ravaged. He was a, a Christ follower, a Christian man. He talks about how he was just completely crushed, completely shattered, bewildered. He talks about a strange dream that he had. He said it was kind of like one of these waking dreams where he was trying to to follow the sun and it was setting and then a voice came and said, don't chase it, just turn around and head back into the darkness. That's the fastest way to get the sunlight back. And he had a conversation shortly after this dream with his sister And he was fascinated that his sister reiterated the same kind of thought, urged him, stop trying to run from your pain. Stop trying to run from your grief. Own it. Let it rip you to shreds. Let it break you. Don't try to cope with it. Let it it do its work. Of course, trusting God in the midst of it. And he says that ultimately... Ultimately, that's what he did. Here's his statement. He said, I discovered in that moment that I had the power to choose the direction my life would head. 
I decided from that point on to walk into the darkness rather than try to outrun it. He goes on. To let my experience of loss take me on a journey wherever it would lead and to allow myself to be transformed by my suffering rather than to think I could somehow avoid it. So, trials are inescapable. You're going to have them. You might have one before this day's out. You probably will before the week is out, some of us. So, what will we do with them? Remember the statement that I had shared with you earlier, the third statement. Should be here. Trials provide a uniquely powerful kind of pressure that can greatly injure us if we don't handle them with the key or surprisingly improve us. Now we all have the key. And the only question is, it's not a question if we're going to have the trials. We're going to have the trials. The only question is, is will we use the key? And the key is my steadfast trust in Christ. I have convictions that he is trustworthy and that whatever is allowed in my life, if I trust him, stay faithful to him through it, if I don't go into that frame of mind, why are you letting this happen to me, God? You know I don't deserve it. Getting angry, getting bitter, getting skeptical, getting cynical, those, those things just, just destroy us. They injure us permanently. But we can say, wait a minute, I'm going to do what's, what your word says, count it all joy. You're sending this as a force, as a unique pressure, so that I can develop and I can grow and I can become fully human and fully alive. This thing won't take my life. I don't like it. I don't exactly understand it, but I'm going to be faithful to you. And I'm going to wait for the harvest of Christ-like character righteousness to be produced in me through it. The only question is, like I say, it's not, it's not about whether or not we'll go through a trial. It's a question of how we'll react to the trial. Um, <laughs> let me move over here. <laughs> And let's not do that in the second service. <laughs> and I'll pray. Let's do that. Father, you know how frail we are. You know how scared we are in life. Here we are, created in your image with a longing for a world where there's nothing but peace and love and righteousness and health and joy every day and goodness. And yet that's not the world we have. And we've all had our unique experiences. We've all had our pain. We all have faced our share of trials, and we will face them. May your spirit so secure this body of truth in our hearts that we will truly, like James said, count it all joy and know that these things can help us, not hurt us. They can help us to mature and fulfill the vision and the purpose you have for our life to become fully human and fully alive, fully like you, our Lord, our King, our Savior, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.